0: How we how we excited to be in this time sharing with you, Father. Thank you for thank you for class last night. Thank you for uh, studying in your word. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for rousing me to this time of sharing with you, Father, and for sharing your truth your knowledge, and your wisdom to any that would hear the words but listen to the message and seek your truth. Seek after your knowledge and seek after your wisdom, which is what I will only share because you gave it to me to do so, Father. Yahweh aman, Yeshua And again, for some that may have missed it, I don't know what that is, but that hurt. Um, The word aman, A-H-M-A-N, means praiseworthy. And I use both words at times, amen and aman. And sometimes I use them right after prayer and at the same time. just depends what I'm praying about and what the Spirit leads my heart to do but it means amen, A-M-E-N means so be it. And "Aman," praiseworthy. Are they not praiseworthy? Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Lord God Almighty, creator of all things made. So, here is the What do I used to call it? I lost the word. It went right out of my mind. I was about to say it and I went, okay. Ah, here we go. This is the safety disclaimer. Ladies and gentlemen, bienvenue. Have a good, safe trip. Fasten your safety belts. Keep your hands and arms inside the moving vehicle because we are going to take a wild little ride. Something that's going to, I'm certain, bunch up some knickers and get some folks all agitated and worked up. Oh, well as I tell you all the time and not being confrontational about it, but I don't care. And the reason I don't care is because validation of the Lord, my God is the only validation that matters to me. And that's just the way it is. But I'm going to share with you in an, an interesting thing. And, and, uh, This is um, that phrase that I've given to you before, and we'll get back into it a little bit more later. Um, food for thought. Food for thought. And what I'm going to talk and bring up first is, uh, this actually kind of works hand in hand because um, it stirred up the other. But an interesting point of topic came up and it is one that is, um, for me, it's a little bit troubling because people want to make a big deal out of it. And this is what I've shared with you before is where people want to bend into cultural parameters and sociological attitude But the Bible is very specific on on things. And we find in the scriptures that what I'm speaking of specifically is the supposition that many make of a holy kiss. And people get all bent out of shape. And there are those who get up and they want to make a declaration of how weird it is. And they don't want you to be it's just very odd to me because we are directed to do certain things in the word of God. We are a gathering people. We are meant to be together. We're to be part of a family, but there are individuals that are getting all bent out of shape about things because you touch them. They don't want to be touched. They don't want to have, they don't want to hug. They don't want any of that stuff that goes on. And they're bending into cultural and sociological Parameters and allowing that sort of thing to run their life rather than living a spiritual, fruitful life that we're directed by the word of God and by those who know the word or supposed to know the word are teaching. And I'm going to redress the fact that I said, hold on because there's going to be a number of folks that are going to get their knickers all bunched up and they're going to sit uncomfortably for a while. Well, that's just unfortunate. And as it used to say, don't make your problem my problem. If you got a problem with it, go to the Lord in prayer if you even do that. And there are many that don't, and that's unfortunate. But a holy kiss, we're directed to do so. And, and the reason I find that it's so... And I don't get annoyed and confrontational with people. I just, I pray for them. That's all I do, ever do. I just pray for them and I'll, okay, fine. And I pray because that's what we're told to do. And prayerfully that they would have enlightenment and they would understand that, that living fearfully is not what we're supposed to do. I've shared this with you before. And I saw it happening and I, still, and I see it still going on that people are fearful of all this uh, fear mongering that was going on some years ago. And this is supposed to have gone away, but yet there's people that are still trying to stir it up. And there's people that are still walking around allowing fear to drive their actions and reactions to others. And this thing about touching and hugging and and, uh, the holy kiss, this is all a derisive wedge that's being driven by none other but the enemy himself, Satan, and his minions and demons, and it's true. They're driving the wedge to keep individuals separated and from following the word and bending whatever is said or bending the truth so that, parameters outside of the word of God are being adhered to and following cultural guidelines and sociological guidelines rather than truth. And those guidelines are led by liars, deceivers, and things that are not true. Remember, fear is a liar and fear is a pseudonym of the devil. It's one of Satan's pseudonyms, Lucifer, Devil, Bazelbub. Basilbub is a prince, one of his uh, demons, and occasionally he's very powerful. And occasionally they will call Satan Bazelbub, Prince of Darkness, Prince of the Air. There is a number of pseudonyms. But the thing that you have to remember is that Fear is also an anagram, and an interesting thing, it, uh, a dear, dear, dear sister passed away, and she had written down in one of her poems, she had, it was a side note, but it was interesting because I wrote it in the front of my father's Bible um, some years ago, actually, and it was, um, What I put down, I was doing some Bible study and I wrote it down there and she had written down the same thing. Fear, false evidence appearing real. She turned it into an anagram, I turned it into an anagram and that's exactly what it is. False evidence appearing real. And Satan loves to drive that because it allows him to put that wedge in between those that are saying that they're a believer, but yet they're not acting like a believer. They're, uh, as I share with you, the label heads and the self-proclaimed Christians. They're no more Christian than... Well, I have to give more credit to my service dogs because God brought them to me and they're actually very... (laughs) They're very close to him, um, and they understand that thing about agape love. So you have those individuals that are actually—I would say that they're more of the minions of the devil than they are Christian. The way they act and the way they put out—they won't—they don't go to prayer meetings. They go to, won't go to Bible study and come to church rarely. So I would have great difficulty in believing in salvation or believing that they are what they claim to be because evidence shows otherwise. You have to be, and as I've shared with you before, not only talking the talk, but walking the walk. Back to point. we're told to do something biblically and this comes back to that thing called the holy kiss. It says we're to greet each other with a holy kiss. We're to greet one another as if we're family and we're glad to see one another and when you embrace why do people get as the term was used toward me when I Kissed him on the cheek. Oh, that just creeps me out, man. And I was just taken aback a little bit, and I actually stepped back. and I looked at him, and I said, why? I said, the Bible tells us to do that. That's called a holy kiss. Well, it just creeps me out. The man kissed a man. Whoa. I pray for him, I, I, can, I discontinued the conversation, I wasn't going to argue with him, and I wasn't going to try to prove my point, I just let the conversation go, and I pray for him. The truth will come and be revealed to him, but the thing of it is that we're told to do this thing, and why has it become a creepy thing? That's because man and mammon has brought this lie to forefront, and made it into something that it is not. And this is what the devil does to drive that wedge of derision and separation and untruth. And this is the favorite tactic, to get that thing that is supposed to be a good thing and pervert it and make it into something that it's not. A holy kiss The Greeks declare it as being a sign of the highest homage that somebody can give to a brother or a sister, and that you are properly showing reverence to that person, that you consider them to be of a high esteem, which is what we are supposed to do. We are supposed to make ourselves lower than anyone else, and we are to serve and not to be served, and that's what we are supposed to be doing. So when you present your brother or sister with a holy kiss, don't don't make it a weird thing, but just, and when I do, I, I just kiss them on the cheek and let it go. That's a quick thing. But I am telling them, I am showing them that I am honoring them and I hold them in high esteem because they are a member of the body of Christ in the church. And that as a true believer, I believe what the Bible tells me. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Period. Period. It is an honor and a recognition of sanctity. What does that mean? Remember Jesus came to give us, to make us sanctified, to make us holy. And when you give them a kiss like that, it's showing them that you believe that it's, they are sanctified, that they're a member of the church body a body of Christ, and that they are your brother and sister in the kingdom of heaven, an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. That's that's pretty high esteem right there, just without even just saying that. That's, uh, there's a wow factor there for me. And again, I, I will go back and I'm gonna say again, Christ came to make us holy. He didn't come and then hang out and wait for us to become holy so that he could die on the cross for me. I mean, when he saw me from way over there, where he was, and he said, I have to go and die for him. Jesus, thank you. He saw me, and when he looked down off the cross, when he was there on the cross, and he looked down into the, Crowd of Pharisees, and he saw me standing with them, and he looked up to heaven. He said, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." And then God took his robe of righteousness and put it over. He put it over my shoulders because he was claiming me. And then you say, well, what about, what about, yeah, what about it? They were throwing rocks and still cursing Jesus because he came and was speaking with authority and they were losing the authority, not based on Jesus telling people not to follow. He just, he just spoke truth. They couldn't handle the truth. Kind of like, who is it? Jack Nicholson was it? There's a movie. Okay, I'm sorry. I should go. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Yeah, he played the, anyway, it was in a movie. But they couldn't handle the truth. And as Christ told them, we find that in John 8 where he was, just told them straight up where they came from and they couldn't understand what he was saying because he spoke truth. He spoke the language of our heavenly father. They didn't know it. And they were claiming to be this and that and the other thing but not really. So in recognizing the sanctity of what Christ did for us and that he did it for those who are true believers and not just claiming, but are true believers, recognizing that with a holy kiss. And here's further in that, and then I'm going to let it go because I know it just, Twitches people to no end. That's kind of too bad. That's an unfortunate thing. I'll pray about it, but here's the thing. Do you realize before we come to birth that God sings over each of us? And do you realize before we come to be born, he gives us a holy kiss? And then we come into this plane of existence and then we are, we have choices. Remember, he created us a beautiful creation, but he gave us each a choice. He didn't make us robots to follow step by step exactly. He gave us a choice, a free will choice, just like John three sixteen through 22. I share it with you where that pervert didn't take it in context and doesn't share it in context. He takes it only one verse, and then he, try, he twists it and perverts it and tries to tell people that we're teaching it wrong, and he's going to rewrite it. Oh, great. And then you have another pervert who's going to try to twist a word, who says that he needs to rewrite the Bible to make it more relevant to this day and age, well, I'm sorry, but I go through the Bible, and and as I was searching it last night, today, and in class, the Bible is as relevant today as it was when it was put together originally. And how has it got to be rewritten and made more relevant when it is a top selling publication in all of history? And it has been so since it went into publication and people could get Bibles that it has been that and for hundreds of years, but it was released and put out in publication. So the question that I have is, why does this pervert decide that he needs to rewrite it and make it more relevant? And if it wasn't so relevant to this day and age, why are people so afraid of the Bible? That it has to be destroyed and that people cannot have a Bible, otherwise they're going to die for believing in the Bible. And there are countries today, whether you want to believe it or you do not want to believe it, where people, if they are seen carrying a Bible or make a declaration of being a Christian, they are put in prison or killed. You have China, North Korea, the United Soviet Socialist Republic, which is now called the Republic of Russia, but for all practical purposes, folks, reality is that they are a communist country and they Want If Christians are allowed to be there at all, they have to do and follow rules that are established by the government. And then you have uh, in communist China, you have uh, what they call the, uh, the people's church, which have to follow the guidelines of the government, not the Bible. They have printed pamphlets that they teach by. Oh, goodness. And then if you don't do that, then you're put in prison, beat, or at times even killed. In Korea, there are individuals that are taken. In China, they take them and they ship them off to uh, what they call the re-education camps. And this is something that you have uh, socialist individuals within our own government that are crying out about that but they're being put to death. And that's an unfortunate thing, but God, God gives us a holy kiss. And it's a mark of agape love, unconditional love, that we don't have to, there's nothing that we could do to deserve or warrant that he gave us what he gave us, which is salvation, redemption, unconditionally, which there's nothing we could do or say to pay it back anyway. You you couldn't work enough lifetimes and earn enough to pay for the only begotten son of God who was with God from the beginning, who is the word manifest in flesh coming here stepping off the throne that he had in heaven, taking off his crown, which he had in heaven, and coming here and for three years teaching and guiding and and establishing truth of the kingdom of heaven, of which I am an ambassador for, which is very cool. I like that. And it works in my imagination very well. Um, But coming to do that, can you possibly think, in your wildest imaginings that there are enough lifetimes for you to work to be able to pay that back? I'll just tell you straight up, no. No. In Torah, the holy kiss Begins with God that He gives to each of us before we're given to be born. As He does, He sings Obras. And there are those of the ilk that cry out that, as with the Holy Kiss, that imagination is wicked, bad, and only evil. Well, yes, there are those. Wild and bad imaginations and imaginings. I mean, goodness gracious, you have pornography and you have the things that are thrown at you left and right and the way that we can get into it so easily. And the evil imaginings, this is not real. They're not real. They get paid to do what they're getting, what they do, whatever it might be that they do. It's not real. They're not married to one another. They're not in a relationship that is real, but yet understand that it's one of the highest grossing economic commodities available. And it's not just in this it's worldwide. Yeah, those are evil imaginings. Those are imaginations because, what, are they sharing truth with you to get you to think about how good that is? How, oh yeah, wow, that's really good. Yeah, but for what? For momentary gratification? And that's all it is about. It's not a good thing. It's not a a pleasant place to be. And it is very difficult when you are a person that has been on their own for a substantial amount of time. But what's really sad about it, it is so preeminent in cultures and society all over the world that there are individuals that get caught up in that while they're still, why they're married to someone. And sadly, they're having an affair with a not real person, they're not having an affair with anyone that, that they're going away from. The It's an imagination. It's an evil imagination. And the Bible talks about wicked imaginations. But you also have to understand that... Um, I almost took off and went someplace that I shouldn't have gone yet, so individuals presume that imaginations are all wicked and bad there there are there are bad ones i I do say that there are, and I'm not saying that there are not there are, and the Bible speaks to both actually um we can find. And if we go to, ah, I took that marker out too soon, I'm sorry, but I'm going right back to Genesis 11. We can actually, you go to Genesis 11 is where the story of this goes, but then we go to 11.6, pardon me, specifically, but in chapter 11, what we learn and what we're being taught is that the whole earth was of one language and one speech. So everyone throughout the world, known at that time, they could understand one another. They didn't have they didn't have to have translators. They didn't have they all could understand one another. Traveling. And that in the plain of Shinar they found a place that they were going to establish as a a home and live. And then they decided that they were going to build a tower. And they were going to build this tower and that it should reach into heaven. And then there were these wild imaginings that were going on, led them to wickedness and not good things. But then we find, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. They have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Well, this is not a good imagination. And this scripture is pointing out that that's not a good thing. They wanted to ascend this tower and be able to reach into heaven and go up and there is no sanctity there, but heaven is God's place. And when we're invited to become heirs and joint heirs with Christ Jesus, and the fact that He was crucified and was died there, but these these people, again, God created and gave them a free will choice. Now they're now they're gonna now they're gonna go up to see God on their own. They're not gonna seek God's face. They're not gonna seek His guidance. They're just gonna build a tower and they're gonna climb up and get there. Hmm, so further reading in verse seven. Go to, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So here's a food for thought. And this this I give to you because it, it's to... Stir up that imagination, but think about it, and don't don't get all wild and wicked about it. But it's just to stir up this thought process. Who's God talking to? Said, "Let us go down." So, has God got an imagination, imaginary friend that He talks to, like some children establish because they don't have friends they don't have anyone around that pays any attention to them. So they have invisible friends. Me, I talk to my dogs. Kind of fun, actually, because they work at trying to understand. I've shared with you, I've already taught them, they, they understand Spanish when I talk to them. They also understand sign language. I've tried to throw a little Japanese in there, but they seem to have a little trouble with that. Maybe it's because I don't, to speak Japanese very well anymore, but they understand things and they're, they're very intelligent. And not trying to be sacrilegious or trying to be blasphemous. I'm just stating truth and fact. Who is God talking to? God talking to his invisible imaginary friend? No, because God is in the kingdom of heaven. Who is he talking to? I think we find that answer if we go to the scriptures and you find out that he's probably talking to Christ. John 1.1 was a word that was with God from the beginning, in God, with God, from God. And that he was manifest in flesh. And we see in John 114 actually we find that to be true and tells us how Christ was manifest and made flesh and came here for us imaginings there are there are wickedness and they're bad I mean goodness gracious you get, let's Let's go back to this pornographic issue again. So you have you have tons, tons, literally tons of magazines, and you have um, you have uh, oh goodness gracious! Here's one I can remember. Years ago, they started doing this stuff. Um, you had uh, you had Sports Illustrated. It used to be a magazine that was just about for sports fanatics, baseball, football, basketball, and all that stuff. And then they started doing the swimsuit issue, which was some kind of anniversary thing that they did on some special occasion. And then it became part of that, just part of the publication. You you didn't buy a Sports Illustrated magazine without a fold-out of some beautiful woman in a skimpy clad bathing suit or uh some kind of article of clothing and and then uh and that's that's it, and it wasn't very much so what does this do to the imagination of men and young young boys that see this? We're only speaking to that because i in this culture and the way it is now, it's not just the young boys and it's not just the men but which is Contrary teaching of the word of God too. That's for another time. And I told you, this was going to be kind of bumpy and there were going to be some knickers twisted up. But that's okay. Because I don't care. Validation comes from God, not from man or mammon. But this thing that that is promoted and pannered and put out for the bad imagination of those in this plane of existence because it is driving untruth. And there are those that have, even in relation to, to that, they try to say, well, my truth isn't the same as your truth. And they try to make it okay. Well, it's not okay because these are not real people. They're photographs or videos or whatever, how you do, whatever you do. And it's not reality. Here's the thing too that you have to understand is God designed that to be a good thing. And you have to remember, you can go back to Genesis when God created heaven and earth, Garden of Eden and established that. And Adam and Eve, they used to walk in the garden and they had no clothes, but they weren't, they weren't looking at one another that way. But the design by God was that we would be desirous one for another, but in a holy way and sanctified by God's design. And he used to come and walk with them in the cool of the evening. They were naked. They didn't care, didn't make a big deal of it. God came and he didn't care, he created them. And they used to just walk and talk. And then the wickedness came in when Eve was beguiled by the devil and told to eat of the fruit and that she would not surely die. Well, not physically, spiritually. So what was one of the first things that happened when they ate that fruit? God came down to walk with them. I'm sure he knew that they were hiding already. He was God. And he called out, he said, where are you? And their response was, well, we hid ourselves because we were naked and afraid. All of a sudden, the lights go off, the alarms, the bells, the whistles, everything happens. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that? I used to come and walk with you in the cool of the evening and it never was an issue before. Why now? You've eaten of of the tree of the fruit in the center of the garden that I told you not to. The lies that are pandered to us by Satan to drive us away from the great and goodness of our Lord God Almighty, our Heavenly Father. That's the purpose of the deceit and the lies and these imaginations that go on, and he drives them. But the Holy Spirit also provides imaginations. And we can find... We can find that in Genesis. I'm going to go back. Oh, I took that. I'm sorry. I took that marker out too soon. thought I was done up there. I'm sorry. I apologize. i got going to go back and get it. That's okay. Because it'll just take me a second. I know where these things are. I've been doing this a while. So I can get there fairly quickly. Ah, there it is. But in imagination that is guided by the Holy Spirit and guided in truth. And if we go to Genesis twenty-eight ten through 22, actually we find out about that. And Jacob went down from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and he stayed there for a while. All night. The sun had gone down and he was tired. So he took some stones and he put them and he set them so that he would have a place to to place his head. And as we see here, this is important. In 2812, and he dreamed. What are dreams? You are not consciously awake and aware that that's happening at times until maybe after you get up and if you're lucky enough to remember them. But in this particular instance, oh, he was very much going to remember because this dream, this sleeping imagination came from the Holy Spirit. It came from Abba Yahweh. And he dreamed a dream. And he saw a ladder that reached to heaven. And angels were ascending and descending the ladder. And at the top of the ladder, he saw the Lord. Verse 13, and behold, the Lord, I'll, I'll read the dream to you. And he dreamed and behold, the ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father and the God of Isaac and the land whereon you liest. To thee will I give it to you and to thy seed. So he is speaking to Jacob in a dream. The Holy Spirit will do that at times. I've shared with you before that sometimes the Holy Spirit will rouse me from sleep in a dream. And I mean, it's, it's, there's a couple times where it's been so real. I, I, I just sat right up in bed. Could not, it was just so vivid and so real. So you have wicked imaginations, wicked imaginings, but you, you have goodness that's given to you. This is why we have to be in control of that. And the way that we are in control of that is in Prayer. We pray for guidance in th- everything. And it tells us that we should do that. Continuously be in prayer. Paul reminds us of that. But here we find something else about imagination that people are so people are so keen on deciding that things are bad or wicked or not good. Imagination is bad. It's just only wicked. Well, let me share something with you here. We're going to go over to the book of Proverbs. And in the book of Proverbs, chapter 29 and verse 18, this is the word of God. Abba Yahweh Ahmad. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. And you say, wait a minute, that's, what's that got to do with any, well, it's been said of men, men and women, we got to include them because it's all part of it, that have imagination and they build great cities, taking flight with the birds, women that solve physics equations that Others could not possibly get done in order to get men in space and back again, safely. What is the word that's used? Oh, visionaries, that's the word that's used for them, visionaries, they have a great imagination and their mind works forward and forward thinking, fast forward sometimes, but we call them visionaries. You had, and I'm going to name a few because they're more important historical people. You have Orville and Wilbur Wright, and a place called Kitty Hawk. Since South Carolina, North Carolina. I forgot now, but it was in the Carolinas. It was a big stretch of sand dunes. And they took that aeroglider and they flew it, they built it. In a shop at their house, the two brothers, they built it together. They took it out and proved that men could fly with the birds. And then you had other men that took motors and built it. They did that as well and put a motor to it. They first did it and it was just a glider. Went a long distance though. Then you have this guy. Some of you may have heard of him, may not have. But then there's this guy. His name is Walt Disney. And with his imagination, he thought, you know, we could build this really great place. People could come. They could enjoy it. They could. And sadly, now it, you know, it's it's been turned into something else. But his vision for it was really good to share with everyone that could possibly come and do it. And yeah, he turned a tidy little profit of it, but he wasn't looking for that. That wasn't what it was for. He wanted to share his vision and his ideas with people. And when it first started, it was nominal. In his imagination, he also drew. He was a cartoonist. And he drew a lot of things, and those visions that he had in his imagination, he produced and published cartoons. And then you have a couple women. You have one by the name of Katherine Johnson, and another, Dorothy Vaughn. That's just two of the many that, that helped to do this, but they were kind of the two primary figures. And you say, well, who are these women? Well, I'll share with you if you see it. It was a fanciful movie, but it was very well done. I, I enjoyed it. But you see the story of this young girl, Katherine Johnson is where she started and the film is called Hidden Figures. This young girl loved mathematics as a youngster, and she could figure out things really fast. Her mind was like a computer, and she could see numbers. And this is where a lot of genius folks, they see these numbers just floating around and they move around and it's almost as if they're grabbing them out and putting them in place. Now this young woman came to work for this outfit called NASA. And they had an entire team of the world's leading physicists and scientists that couldn't figure out this equation to be corrective and understand the revolution of the world the, as it was turning and that this space capsule as was going to be in orbit to return to Earth and how to make sure that it was going to return safely. And they wanted to make sure that they were going to have a good location to be able to do this. Well, they couldn't figure out the equation. They couldn't figure out the math problem. And as it turns out, which is actually, uh, I think they fancied it up a little bit in the film, but it was actually part of the real story is that she took a redacted document. What that means is they blacked out all the information. If you didn't have a certain classification that they would censure it. And they did that by marking it out. But she figured out all the numbers and equations that she needed because she Looked at it through in front of a light. (laughs) So numbers that she needed to get the equation completed, she found a way and she did it. And it was complete and it was correct. And they tried to make an issue out of it, but then the head guy said, is it correct? And it was indeed correct. She gave the correct numbers and then they tried to, it became part of an issue. But Katherine Johnson and Dorothy Vaughn were part of a team of women that helped John Glenn return to earth safely and continued in that program. this young girl in her wildest imagination, Ever figured that she would be a part of NASA? You thought that she'd be on that team of scientists and that they couldn't figure out to solve the equation? And she did. And we're going to jump into Isaiah God's prophet. I like this guy. And what do you suppose Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah 26, verse 3? Well, I'm going to tell you. That was a rhetorical question, by the way. Well, actually, I'm going to... I'm going to go ahead and read from... 26.1, 26. one, because this has to do with imagination. They're singing a song. In that day shall the song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation, which keepeth the truth, may enter in. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. In the mind, the imaginations, they can run run amok if you allow them, but if your mind is stayed and focused on God, this is what Satan loves to do. This is that white noise interference thing I, I share with you. If your mind is focused on God and you don't allow that white noise interference to trouble and stir you up, then you will be in perfect peace because God gives it to you. And remember what Jesus told the disciples when he came to them in the upper room? Remember what he told them? She said, peace I give to you. Not as you find in the world, because I have overcome the world and you couldn't get, you can't get perfect peace in this world. You look around everything that goes on. I share a bit of the fundamental negativity that's here, but the thing of it is that my mind is also as an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven, I'm offering and I share with you as often as I can to get you to do this, to turn your life over to Christ, be centered in Christ and have faith in God and let the Holy Spirit guide your steps. And you can do it now. You can do it afterwards. You can do it with a very close friend. Some You can do it at church. You don't have to. It only takes a minute. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I come and I want Jesus in my life. I want my life to change. I want to give up these things that are going on and I want the Holy Spirit to help me and guide me so that I can control these wild imaginings and know that a holy kiss is a greet, my brothers and sisters, and that it's a thing that we should do and that you kissed me, Father, before I came here. You marked me as your Child, and forever I am. In Jesus' name, amen. That's all it takes. It just takes a minute. I know whom I am believing. I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I give to him until that day. And that day is the day that I go home But brothers and sisters, you have to also know that we're not going to get an answer right away every time. You have to understand and know that everything that we want, we have learned from a broken plane of existence that we can't get everything right away. And we have to learn to wait on the Lord. We have to learn to wait on the Lord. And Isaiah actually shares that with us. that we need to learn to wait on the Lord. And that's hard to do for many of us. Why? Because when we're sitting idle, our imagination runs amuck, And we believe that, oh, this is, man, I can't just sit here and not do anything. I can't sit here and do, I can't, I, can, I can't do this. Yes, you can. And we're told to do so. Why are you getting all agitated about that? getting all upset, letting your mind run amok. See, Satan loves that because that's the white noise interference that he's throwing in there. And there are scriptures that talk about having a staid mind and a good mind and what we should do. Brother and sister, we just need to keep ourselves in there we're told in Psalm 274. David reminds us in his songs his imaginations of the poems and things that he wrote for God he wrote these to God praising God one thing I have desired of the Lord that will I see this is 27 4 pardon me One thing I have desired of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Well, remember we shared with one another or I shared that with you with, the inquire, to ask after for guidance. It's not, you're not questioning your God because you don't wanna do that. That's not being reverent and that's not being respectful. That's being arrogant. But David inquires after God's guidance to be taught. And we find that he also did that. And we find that I shared that with you in First Samuel, that he was had trouble and he went to God and he encouraged himself in the presence of God and he inquired after God, should I go after these? He said, we're gonna stone David, stone him to death. But there's 12 or 15 scriptures that David wrote telling us that we need to wait on the Lord. We need to wait patiently on God. We need to be still. Isaiah shared that, Jeremiah shares that. We need to be still and know that he is the Lord, our God. In Isaiah 40 and 31. He shares that very thing with us. And it's an important thing. They that wait upon the Lord. Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings. As eagles. And they shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk. Walk. And not faint. But importantly too, that we read in verse 28, has thou not known, has thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding. This is a very key verse because it tells us to quit looking and trying to figure things out in our mind because we can't do it. It's beyond our comprehension. It's far above what we can understand. And we wouldn't be able to understand it. So don't try. Have faith in God and believe that he is the Lord thy God. And again, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. This is in Ephesians 3 and 20. Brothers and sisters, God is good. God is great. you in my prayers, my going out, my coming in. Be blessed.